Hello, what's this? A dying forest. What do you think's wrong? That's right. No sun. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science of the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida, and this week's episode is Silent Running. But first, <laughs> hey Abby, what's going on with, like, what's going on, what's going with, on you? with me? Uh, stuff, I'm sure, at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of stuff you know like what kind, uh, of stuff? what kind of stuff we had an awesome day together in london it was amazing <laughs> yeah what me and you so good wasn't it yeah. so good <laughs> all right i'm getting on the plane the day after tomorrow <laughs> i'm getting on the i'm getting so i will have recorded in person and I'll um, be able to talk about <laughs> how cool my space capsule yes. was that I rested in in Thailand because <laughs> I've rented out a capsule I to sleep it. in. So that by the time I come to London, I'll be well rested so and ready to record. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited for my capsule. There was another option, which was slightly cheaper, but it wasn't like a space capsule. So I was like, fuck that box I hotel. I want capsule. I don't want I the want box pictures. I want a capsule. It's okay. so cool. We need yeah, story time. You can put it on stories on Instagram and on TikTok. Yeah, Excellent. this is what we want. We want Frida's journey to London <laughs> on <excited>. stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I've trialed out my sleeping pills. I'm ready. So I'm going to sleep in the capsule, then I'm going to take a sleeping pill on the flight to London, and I'm going to arrive seven in the morning, so rested. <laughs> The day of us us meeting and recording, not the day before, like she originally told me. Yeah, all my flights are like an extra day because I was trying to save money. So I booked my flights, you know, like, like that. My flight back home also has like 11 hours in one city that I was like, oh, no. I'm 11 hours in Dubai oh, airport. Rita. Whoops. <laughs> so long. But that's how I saved. I know. That's how I saved money. That's an entire 24 hours of like work as well. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck oh, that. Anyways. Yeah. Can't wait. Well, I am excited. So I am just, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm just, we're just on like super hardcore podcast prep getting ready for this right now like that's, mm-hmm. that's it. the main aim by the yeah. time this episode comes out i'm sure i'll have done some like science work you know my phd I... <laughs> to be fair i am actually running simulations at the moment so i'm, I'm also just kind of like just every half an hour just r- jumping in and just checking on something going well that didn't work let's try a different configuration that's my life yeah, if I'm being really honest, I am running something on the super cluster. Yeah. Sorry, I made that in sound the background, really and oh. it's not working because I don't know how to do parallel. Oh compute. no! Like I'm using all different. I'm using this lot of multiple CPUs to run things in parallel, 
And it just times out, times out. I'm like, how much time do I need to run this for for it to time out? Like, I'm obviously doing something wrong. Yeah. I guess we're both always working. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What else? So the life Anything of a scientist. We into... uh, well, we're going to hope that um, we're going to hope that my laptop isn't going to crash. Yeah, so, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, maybe we can. Uh, I'm not joking about doing like a Patreon or some shit. Yeah, GoFundMe. <laughs> Once we get yeah. enough fans, people do. do that. I know. I've seen GoFundMe's of people that do like ASMRs or Patreons. They're like, buy my favorite makeup for me. Yeah, and people do it. Because they like them, they want. They, I think. They, they I think once them. we get to a good wish yeah, list, I think once we get to like a good amount of fans on TikTok, we should do it. Even if it's just enough that like pays for mm. Acast and stuff like that. Or oh, sometimes we have to rent yeah, movies. Exactly. We've got to pay for all the movies that we watch. We've got to. Um, mm-hmm. The what was going to say. Um, and we do have a bunch of like, cause we've got all the, we've got lots of extra stuff that we could put up. So I just had a bunch of yogurt and bananas for energy and I've got that kind of like yogurt, you know, <laughs> got noises cool. happening. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, shall we, shall we do the movie? So then? yeah. Yeah. Let's silent running. Let's go. <laughs> All right, summary of silent running. We are introduced to a freighter, which we click, <coughs> clickly. <laughs> we are introduced to a freighter, which we quickly learn carries the last of Earth's precious plant life. When orders arrive to detonate the forests using nuclear bombs, part of a corporate cost-cutting exercise communicated via clinical transmission, vegan Jesus spaceman Freeman Lowell sets in motion a series of events to save the precious cargo. Unable to compromise on his conservationist principles, Lowell murders his resistive crewmates. Not seeing another way around, he takes off with the cargo and three drones and goes into silent running <laughs> it's a okay, pretty yeah, simple cool. plot oh, and okay. that was it yeah that was it one hour 30 minutes boom boom <laughs> frida's kind of movie <laughs> totally <laughs> set up oh here we go and away we go so douglas trumbull directed this movie in 1972 four years after providing special effects for 2001 Space Odyssey. This was made on a $1 million budget and it ended up costing $1.3 million. The exterior shots are all models made painstakingly by hand. So, before 2001, sorry, so before Alien, after 2001, in my opinion, you can kind of see the transition in the mm. middle. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what did you think of this movie? I don't know. Yeah. Right? Such a weird movie. Like, so it was strange, <laughs> so but I'm it like... wasn't strange enough that it was really, really odd. But mm. then it wasn't mainstream enough that it was like, oh, this is a really 
just big space movie thing. I don't know. I think it was interesting. I think it was interesting from the perspective of looking at one person's journey through this. Um, There -hmm. were aspects of it that I thought were really great. There were some things in it that I thought were a bit like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? Um, But yeah, I guess like it's the kind of a movie that maybe its entire purpose is to deliver a message and I don't, I think I maybe only got half the message. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, so I thought it was like, the movie was like nothing I had seen in a very long time. I was like, this is so mm. weird. Because it was, it had, I don't know if the goofiness was like a 70s thing. But there were definitely elements of goofiness yeah. there. But very serious. And like, I just didn't know. I wasn't expecting it. And there were so many parts in the movie. I was like, okay. Oh. I, I just, it, it wasn't like anything yeah. I, I have seen before. And yeah, I, 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 the end of the day, I think I, I came around to it. And like, I think the more that I've thought about it, I've like really come around to it much more and like really started to think about it more deeply. I think. Um, yeah, I disagree with what you said about it being to deliver a message and i guess we'll work through that in the episode why that's i don't believe it's the case something that you just made me think of that i remember i was looking for where i wrote it down and i didn't actually write it down in my notes but i remember thinking at the time that what is interesting about this is that there's a lot of dialogue in the conversation that he has with the other people that he's working with at the beginning um that it wasn't just like action, smashy, bang, bang, space movie. There's got to be airlock drama, all this other kind of stuff. Like it was, a lot of it was conversational and it was dialogue that had meaning. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot mm-hmm. of space movies that we watch nowadays, mm-hmm. it's just throwaway lines that don't really add any value or it's just plot devices and stuff. Whereas this seemed to be actual conversation that was happening in front of you. And I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Everything that was said, everything that he said, like, had a point. I think the writing was really tight. It was sparse because it was mostly him on his own the whole time. So anytime, you know, he says, like, anytime he does talk, anytime there is dialogue, I think the dialogue is, yeah, it's there to nothing is just throwaway. But I think as to the point um, about space movies, I think that this changed. It's actually this movie... Um, first of all, it's very well loved, but also it's very, very well regarded as like that people say if there wasn't for Silent Running, there wouldn't be Alien. If it wasn't for Silent Running, there wouldn't be Star Wars, right? Because before that, we had 2001. It's not about humans. It's about space, aliens, AI. It's mm-hmm. about all these other things where they intentionally hide actors that were like faceless and you wouldn't remember them with no dialogue. And then this sort of made it like, Yes, space, but also it's just people doing a job, which is exactly what Alien is, right? Yeah. They're for a job in that, like, they're not in spacey outfits. They're in, like, jumpsuits. They're, they're hanging around playing pool, <laughs> whatever, doing all their thing. Like, the whole idea of, like, sitting and doing regular shit when you're in space. Like, that was Silent Running was the first to do that. Um, these, these are humans. The, the, this movie is about humans not about space and that was totally new to say let's make a space movie not about space and i think you know yeah dialogue 
all that kind of thing. So, um, got so much other things to say later, but before we get into favorite scenes, just quickly to say the music, Joan Baez <laughs> recorded so weird. I'm sorry. It's so dated and totally seventies and amazingly hippie and just so weird and amazing. But Joan Baez recorded two songs for this movie. So he's like being his like hippie spaceman with Joan Baez like crooning in the yeah. background about worshipping the sun and nature. It's hilarious. So weird. Isn't it so weird? The just the the music in general. Yeah. Like here we are in a space movie and then Joan Baez is like strumming the guitar and singing. Oh yes, sorry. Yes. I was trying to, I was like, my brain was just like, what music? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, of course. Those, those two really particular scenes. Yeah, I did. I found that that was really trippy. That was very, very hippie, wasn't it? Yeah. It was trippy. (laughs) I know. 70s. Okay. Favorite scenes. Go on, Abby. What have you got? um, Oh, the first, the first scene when, when he's like washing the stuff at the sink and the window opens above him and just shows like the whole, and you you get the the camera pull away and you actually see the big structure. That was really, really impressive. Yeah. Isn't it great? Oh yeah. From the window and you see how big it is. Yeah. The, the, um, the hand, the model work is unbelievable it's excellent unbelievable i just on that scene as well firstly it's just great mm-hmm. like <laughs> him like looking out on the view cutting his vegetables yeah. <laughs> he's just like it's it's funny yeah i i will talk more about him a bit later but i i loved that but yeah i yeah. agree amazing what um, else have I'm you just got having a look um Sorry, some of my notes are just like me having running commentary. Is he going to make the robots play with him? Will Huey and Dewey kill him? (laughs) Oh no, Huey, (laughs) don't hit him. That's basically my commentary. Okay, um, so I've just, I've got a line that I really, really enjoyed, um, which is such a simple line, but it's something that I I never really thought about before, where, where the guy comes into him and he's like, I know how you feel. And he says, you don't know how I feel. If you knew how I felt, you wouldn't be in here with that. And I was like, it's such a simple thing. We don't think about it from that. It's like, stop. Yeah, exactly. People, I know how you feel. It's like, well, no, you don't. Because if you did, you'd be doing what I'm doing. You don't yeah. know how I feel. I just thought it was a great, there was something about it that just really stuck in my mind. And I was like, that's really interesting to think about how we use language cool. uh, with each other and how we try to, how we try to empathize with each other mm-hmm. when we don't really have the capacity to understand what the other person is feeling and thinking. And it really shows like how it sets him apart yeah, from them. Because he's just like, no, you don't. We would, we'd be in this together if you knew how I felt. Yeah. And just the throwaway line of, oh, I know how you feel as a throwaway. Yeah. And it's like, you don't. Excellent. So my favorite scenes is number one, I loved the surgery oh, scene. Yes. I absolutely loved it. When they do the surgery, when he reprograms them, but also just when they begin the surgery and you're like, oh my God, he and it holds the scissors to him and he's freaking out. And then it just gently <laughs> cuts his pants and he's like, oh, okay, I'm okay. And you just see, you know, shot by shot, just you know fixing his leg up i just loved it yeah and then um the poker for me like that was my favorite part of the whole movie and it was one part of the movie that i was like no way 
Like that they're taking, and I calculated, 4.4% of the movie is robots playing poker. <laughs> it's four minutes long. Is it? Of when he just, and yeah, of him playing poker. And I, I loved that they did that. I mean, it's just so bizarre to like, it's just not what you expect. I wasn't expecting anything like this. I thought it was going to be a wacky 70s yeah. sci-fi which it kind of was, but there was something like I loved that they they did this whole scene and all the shots of the scene, the robots showing the, each other the cards, the little communication between them, the way he talks to them like children, the way, you know, it's just there's something so endearing about that whole thing. Um, anything uh, else? No, not for me. Okay, cool. All right. So let's talk about cast. We will talk about um, Freeman Lowell's character later. Um, So just about the performance um, first, I guess I want to talk about Bruce Dern. Because I think he takes this 100% seriously. Like this movie has a goofy element, but there's nothing goofy about Bruce Dern in this movie. What do you reckon about his performance? Yeah, he's very, he's the one that made me feel like there was a message. Do you know, he, yeah. everything that he was doing, I felt like he was trying to tell me something. Yes. He's great. And um, Bruce Stern, I mean, I, the movies I know him from, he usually plays a villainous character. And I don't think it was like necessarily he was the hero. No. I think he communicated the fact that like it was ambiguous whether he was good or bad or it's not clear, but that, that he had tension and I feel like he, he like the, the parts of the movie where he was acting like a villain, he did it so fucking well. And then when he's like acting like a good guy, he, it's, I just it, loved him. <sighs> Even just the first, the first scene when you see them playing poker and the way he's lounging there and his body language, I was like, oh, Bruce <laughs> Dad, yeah, I can't. I was taking pictures of it and like putting it up on my Instagram. <laughs> I was just, I couldn't believe his he his performance his physicality it, he was so different like the way he put himself apart from the group in all these little like subtle ways yeah just to come back to what you were saying a minute ago um in terms of mm-hmm. like whether whether it was whether he was a, a hero or a villain kind of thing i think what it showed was that you're you are either the hero or the villain depending on your belief system and depending on whether the people that you're conversing with have the same belief system as you so to the other to the other guys he is the villain because of what he does like he is a villain but in terms of his Mm -hmm. uh in terms of what he sees to be right and in terms of you know the future and humanity and all that kind of stuff he's the hero so it's subjective, mm-hmm. I think. And he plays it in that way that allows you to see that it is subjective. So it depends on if you're like highly into conservationism, maybe you would see him as a hero. If you're into like just survival and yeah. um, and doing what's what's kind of the just going along with it, you'll probably see him as a villain. I don't know. That's not the best way to describe it. But you know what I mean? Who sees themselves? Who sees themselves as the yeah. villain? I think we all see ourselves as the hero in our own yes. story. Quite and then you start to learn as as he goes All... through his story, he learns what he's willing to do in order mm-hmm. to 
yeah to be that hero and the actions kind of make him a bit of a villain yeah and then i think with the themes like we'll touch on yeah exactly i agree okay before we get more into that let's talk about the other people other humans all right we have cliff potts who plays john john's probably the most unpleasant one so he's the meanest Mm. to freeman um, he's the one who he kills in the beginning in the oh, red I suit. Oh, I thought he was his friend. The red suit? The the one he kills with the strangles? Yeah. I thought he was thought the only he, one who was actually friends with him. I think, no, that was white. <laughs> oh, okay. Jesse Vint in blue, in dark blue. So we had red, white, and blue. Who seems like he's just happy to go along with the teasing and everything like that. But Ron Rifkin... In white, they play Andy and Marty respectively. Ron Rifkin in white is the one who has the most interaction with Freeman when he can't put a bandaid on himself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when it's like, I yeah, need yeah. you to put a bandaid on me. Um, it just seems like in the future, humans are completely inept and can't put band aids, um, <laughs> can't set up a pool table, <laughs> need to have this robot being like, <laughs> <laughs> they're just waiting there for this robot to be like, dee 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 dee. Anyways, um, what did you think about those three and their performances? I like performance wise, I don't really have much of a comment, but what I do know is that at the beginning when they're playing and they're like when they're doing like fucking Mario Kart around the spaceship, I hated them. Like I immediately hated them. Yeah. I immediately was like, You are destructive jock assholes you're the ones who don't give a fuck about anybody else you don't care about preservation of anything you know you you don't even have discipline moving through the spaceship with you know the other things like just the way Mm. that the complete disregard they had the fact that they went into the forest just to piss him off that they purposefully drove over everything just complete and utter disregard for everything and i hated them but what about That's the fact that they've been in space for eight years and they're bored and the only entertainment they have is their weird dune buggies? Their weird dump truck. Their, their, their buggies yeah, but, are like but the they dump took of a dump pleasure truck. in going in and driving through yeah. like the, the food supply, things that he was making. They took pleasure yeah. in picking on him and destroying him. It was a classic bully behavior picking on mm-hmm. on the guy that they see as the weird guy because he's got whatever you know because he loves the the forest because they don't see value in it they don't see value but nobody sees value in it anymore yeah I it's suppose. not just them we can talk more about that later okay let's get let's get straight into themes what you said before about you know, whether you're the hero or whether you're the villain, but the most human thing is when you think you're acting like the hero and you do certain things, but because you're a human, your guilt starts to eat at you. It's probably the most human element is the fact that he gets guilty and gets lonely. So my thought about the themes of this movie, we'll talk more about environmentalism later in the science section, but I felt like it was about, it was exploring an otherwise rational person's guilt when they do something questionable, like a good person does an impossible thing, makes an impossible decision, a good person will then be racked with guilt, otherwise he wouldn't be a good person. And then um, I think also to explore his, his loneliness after he essentially killed, killed his only friends. He wanted to, and, and you know what, like 
the loneliness of him it focuses on but right at the end of the movie when he commits suicide and um with Dewey like because he smashed Dewey and he couldn't repair him he sent Huey away on the on with the forest and he kept Dewey with him so he could have some somebody to talk to in his final moments but he sent Huey to the same fate as him of loneliness like Dewey could have been his friend because that we saw both of them having interactions like talking to each other tapping each other when he comes in the room and all that kind of thing and and what and like he's speaking about his own loneliness so in his selfishness he made the same fate of sending Huey off by himself to water plants and keeping Dewey for himself and like he didn't treat them with the same dignity that he should have thought about them and it just makes me sad to think that like how can Huey thrive alone no one can thrive alone but that's the idea like nobody can be alone we can't so guilt and loneliness are my themes what do you think yes (sighs) you've just (laughs) you vocalized a lot of things that I wrote down in my notes that were making me feel angry um about okay. the, the the Hugh and Dewey thing uh, because exactly as you said and, and I didn't know how to put it into words so you put it exactly into words the fact that in his selfishness he kept him and yeah. just sent like I, I have never been so infuriated I think from anything I've seen the moment where he says to um, it's is it Dewey he sends away and he keeps Huey he keeps Dewey and he, he keeps Dewey and sends away Huey it's when he says Dewey can't go with you because he he doesn't have the ability to help you basically because he because he's not he's broken and I was just like that's not Not true true. why are you doing this why are you sending him away and I don't know why I'm sitting there feeling emotionally devastated for a fucking robot um, as it's just standing there on its own being sent off into this fucking life of isolation and solitude because he didn't have the decency to allow them to be together yeah, the Dewey, whole movie even, showed them being together, showed yeah. their connection. Yeah. I am infuriated, and yes, I agree with you. I feel so sad about it. I feel so sad. We saw when Dewey was hit, and Huey just like frozen at Dewey's bedside, couldn't I, leave. And and he says, "I understand how you feel," but he treated them like his kids. The way he told them off, pitiful. That was pitiful. You. You call that planting? And the way he tells them off, and it's like something about it is like very cute, but at the end of the day, he treats them like his kids or his charges. He doesn't treat them like with dignity. They clearly, they clearly are keeping each other company. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that was sad. No, I agree. So sad. I agree with you about the themes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really looking okay. forward to never having to think about that little android on that <laughs> dome ever again because I am too devastated. <laughs> There's even a point there about like just because somebody is a differently abled, it doesn't mean they're not fucking useful. Like, like the fact that he like he like nuclear bombs with him. Like, first of all, he could have watered yeah. the plant. What? He could have cut the rabbits. It's not like you kept him because you needed him. You destroyed him too. Why? Don't even start he, me on the animals. He kept really him so he could have somebody to talk to. <laughs> I can't tend the rabbits. Like of mice and men. Um. <laughs> Dewey could have been like, I'm going to tend the rabbits. I'm going to tend the rabbits. Fucking hell. <laughs> he kept him so he could have someone to talk to about his dumb bottle story for his final moments. Yeah, totally. Anyway. All right. So much more to say on this later. There's so much to say about 
So let's get into welcome to our first section. I feel like we're doing such a good job flying, not spending too much time in the beginning because we always have to edit that out. Let's go straight into our first section, trope of the week. Welcome to our first section, trope of the week. Abby, was there a trope in this movie that you wanted to discuss? Oh, free. I don't have a trope. Okay, I have two. <laughs> can I so, have one so of yours? <laughs> you can have one of mine. Let well, me think. You tell me know. yours and I'll think through the movie again and, and I'll see if okay. there was something. I just didn't write one down and I'm really annoyed at myself. <laughs> so my tropes are kind of references. I like when we just have like snap. One of our old tropes comes back. So I love the lotions and potions because there was a scene where he was sitting there next to some kind of potion in a canister that was like bright red or something. <laughs> I was like, lotions and potions. And my other one was when they found him, when they're like, oh my God, Spaceman, we found you. You can hear them cheering in the background as if it was NASA. <laughs> I know that it was the the other ship, but you hear them being like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like the, it's, it's the clapping at, yeah. at NASA, but on their side, because they're just like, oh my God, it's the Martian. It's the lone guy. We found him. It's America. One person. Yeah. It's like. But he's just like, oh, why did you find me? <laughs> but you hear them that. cheering. I thought that that was super, that was great that you okay. heard them cheering. I've got one. Those are my, go. Uh, it just the the whole fact that like the whole hippie outcast thing, <laughs> do you know? He's a hippie and he's ro- walking around the forest in his bare feet with his robe instead of wearing his jumpsuit thing. And they're all just like <laughs> laughing at him. Like you said, what what did you call him? Um, what version of Jesus did you call him? He was hilarious. Vegan Jesus. Vegan Jesus. Yeah. Spaceman. Yeah. Vegan Jesus. Spaceman. And they're just like, you know, but the the jock bully guys of like, oh yeah, let's pick on the hippie <laughs> with his bare feet commune dude. Vegan Jesus. Spaceman. We that we got to put that on a fucking t shirt. But also, but also that he he runs off with the forest like. He runs off with the fucking forest. <laughs> Bruce Dern runs off with the forest, vegan Jesus spaceman. He, and, and the fact that he uses his robe to like carry the fruit as well. Could, yeah, I mean, I would, I would struggle not to make fun of him. Personally, okay. We'll talk about it a bit later. Okay. okay. Those are our tropes. Let's get into science. We've got out some environments to talk about first. So some, um, let's talk about the domes. Um, just the exteriors and the domes, and then we'll go to interiors later. Um, so three freighters are shown are shown in the film: the Valley Forge, the Berkshire, and the Sokoa. And there's five other ships that carry domes that are mentioned: the Yellowstone, the Acadia, the Blue Ridge, the Glacier, the Mojave. So each ship features a designation on the hull that notes the area from which some of its um, samples were taken. Oh, okay. So the valley, yeah, so it's like they're each protecting a different sort of wildlife, all right? The valley forge is Baja Honda subtropical, so that at least some of the specimen are taken from the Florida Keys. Um, so that's the domes. Um, we're subtropical here. So the way that they're built around the spacecraft is that they kind of use up the 360 degrees because I guess it's space. But then, of course, no explanation how they marry, how they manage zero gravity. That could be a trope. Zero gravity, no oh, explanation. That, like zero gravity, like just, just 
artificial gravity in space movies in general is just something that we always take for granted. We always just accept that they have figured out artificial gravity somehow. Very few yeah, movies but then, ever make but any fucking attempt that- to deal with it. They still have them around the 360, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so there's some sort of artificial yeah. gravity at the center In the middle. Of it. They're trying yeah. to say like there's some mass yeah. that's allowing them. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Um, but I think the main way they, like the whole design of the domes to me is just to distinguish them from the rest of the spacecraft. There's a design thing. So you have like the spacecraft, and then you've got your domes and it shoots the domes off and it just it's a good design thing. It's just like, okay, that's the forest and that's the ship. Mm. And that can, oh, the ship's now going to be used for like commercial purposes because they got rid of the forest. Um, what did you think about the domes? I thought visually it looked amazing when, when we had like the wide shots and you could see the ship and you could see the domes. I thought they looked fantastic. I have no fucking idea how they worked. Right. Um, so they're based on climate control geodesic domes that exist in real life and we'll get more into this topic in a couple movies time right buddy but what i mean is like in terms of they they're completely glass where's the sunshine yeah there was no well but then yeah and then i know i know there was a whole thing a bit later but like the how how were how was the life how was life maintained within those domes yeah So the main point is that I don't think anything like that is necessarily self-sustaining. I think things like that in real life do need to be sustained externally, computers that control the climate and the water that's produced, like it takes up a lot of energy and everything like that. Yeah. But we can pretend for the purposes of this movie that it's self-sustaining, that it's a rainforest, so that the rain is created by the forest because that's what a rainforest controls its own climate. If it was a proper rainforest, it creates its own climate. That's what a rainforest does. So we can make that assumption. But I think that it would all be much easier to explain if they were nearer the sun. Because then they could explain how they even got the power to do it all. Well, I presume that that's why they make the decision (coughs) to get rid of them. Because I presume that what they're actually saying is that it does require quite a lot of energy to maintain them. And so it's it's no longer valuable. Because it's not self-sustaining. Yeah, fuck, you're correct, exactly. They got rid of them because it wasn't commercially viable anymore to keep them, which would assume that they were using up a lot of power. So, yes, we'll talk about more about domes like that because I think that that is something, as we chopped down a lot of rainforests, there are sort of these displays where they're, like, containing rainforests, and I've been to loads of them. Like, there's one in the Melbourne Museum. I went to one in the Otways or wherever. Like, that they do that, and they're fucking depressing. I hate them. (laughs) Because they're depressing. You walk through them and they have the wooden boards and it's like all artificial. And it's just sad. Oh, okay. Because it's not the real thing. But um, yeah, it, does t- it takes a lot of energy to sustain. Because you have to control the climate. So, okay, let's go to interiors. Inside the Valley Forge. Now, the Valley Forge was filmed in a decommissioned Korean War aircraft carrier called, well... The USS Valley Forge. Wow. Yeah. They filmed inside it. I mean, because they had a very small budget. They couldn't build a set. So they, built, they just filmed the whole thing inside the aircraft carrier. Amazing. What did you think about the Valley Forge interiors? Yeah. It's all right. I felt like yeah. there was a lot of stuff for very few people. So 
Oh, totally. Um, I mean, they were being returned to commercial use, so I'm assuming they were initially used for commercial use. Okay. So maybe, so maybe they had initially another purpose, and then they were used for this. So I don't know. Right. Um, but there, anything inside the interior, something about just. Um, all the oscilloscopes. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh, he's staring at oscilloscopes a lot. And I, but if you think about it, um, they weren't home computers yet in the seventies. Yes. So in their imaginations, like oh, future gadgets. I guess their reference point was like oh, oscilloscope. It's like a little screen. Yeah. And so we have to, we just put a bunch of those in. <laughs> Signals, I suppose. Signals. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great, but um, I think also this it just. I think we just have to appreciate that in the 70s, so before that, sort of computer rooms on spaceships was like, bleep, 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 bleep. And this was just like, they didn't have any of that. It was just like regular computer shit, nothing fancy, no yeah. weird noises. It was just, yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of cool. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it. Anything environment of science? I feel like that was it. Inside, outside, yeah, yeah. So, scientists. All right, let's talk about Freeman Lowell. By the way, I just—it's hilarious that we did Gattaca, Vincent Freeman, and I was like, is it an analogy for something? Oh. And then this place is like a sledgehammer in terms of its analogy. Freeman—they <laughs> literally called him Freeman. He's like hippie Jesus. They're like, let's call him Freeman. Everyone else is called Bob. Andy, Tom, you know, and this guy's like Freeman Lowe. It's like, it's just a fucking vegan hippie. <laughs> anyway, he's got his suit on badges. He's got his pledge of conservation and his supermarket celery. That's another point that I want to say is that his, <laughs> I'm sorry, but his celery was just from Coles. It was from Woolworth, you know, like yeah. this, is not, this was not organic celery. It was so funny, his cantaloupe. Like they just went... All good. It's just, I think, I think it comes up later. But these days, our expectation, attention to details, the audience is so much higher that all these right. things get right. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, Freeman Lol, is he an annoying vegan? <laughs> and you, know, you know, he has this depressed fruit party at the end when it goes to like all his mess. And it's just like a fruit party. It's like a messy fruit fest. <laughs> just is he an annoying vegan? Discuss. Uh, he is a bit of an enigma. <laughs> well, because he's he's so hard in on his message. He's so hard in on like it's about the conservation. It's about saving the forest, yeah. saving saving these real things. And the, and they have these conversations around the food and stuff. And uh, there's a couple of things that I find not necessarily contradictory but confusing. Like I find it confusing that the other members on this that there's all this fresh food that's been made and they're not eating it. That they're eating yeah. the processed stuff instead of the fresh stuff. I don't understand why. Um, it, it's Come almost on, you don't it's, know people that you don't know people like that. But uh, but I mean, in that environment of being in space, I don't know no. a single astronaut that would say to you that they would rather eat the dehydrated astronaut food they're given than be handed a fresh fucking cantaloupe. Like, <laughs> it just seems really really weird. It seems like yeah. I know it's to silly. justify the 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 kind of the topic and the discussion of what they're saying but it just seems really strange but anyway it, it but then goofy. he's like this contradiction where 
he has all of this belief. It's all about keeping the forest alive. But then, as you said, you get that scene later on and it's just like wasted food everywhere. Wasted stuff. And I'm just like, I don't... What is your mission here? What is your aim? Like, what is it that you're trying to protect and you're trying to preserve? Because you also didn't do a very good job of preserving it because you just, what, didn't go in there for fucking a month or something? Yeah, his fruit party. Yeah, I mean, it's like eco-terrorism, right? He's, like, so strong in his beliefs that he has to live with the consequences of being that strong in his belief. And he threw away a lot of shit. Like, in saving the forest, he let go of, like, a lot of great things. Yeah. You know, and and he's just living, like, he's basically living with the reality of... of... He's an extremist. He's an extremist. Yeah, he is an extreme environmentalist or conservationist. But he might have always been a weirdo. The thing about his character, Bruce Dern does such a good job. Mm -hmm. He's also just sort of a weirdo. Like, he he might have underlying things. You know, there's underlying things happening in his character. Like, he's not really quite normal and he never was normal. He's intense as fuck. He's just super intense. He does such a good job at him being like kind of a target for that because it's like, yeah, we shouldn't be mean, but also like that guy's like way intense. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I mean, I felt, I felt his pain. I mean, hello, it's the last forest. The look on his face when they announced it is so distressed. Yeah, it's distressing. Uh, But it's funny because it's very easy for me to jump on the opposing side. Especially because you see what he does and how, like, fucked up it all is. But yeah. but I see that he's a weirdo and he's intense. And it's like, dude, just relax. <laughs> is it? Anyways. Okay. So that. what else do you want to say about Freeman Lowell? Anything? Uh, no, not really. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the drones because this is my favorite thing about the movie. Here's a quote from um, Douglas Trumbull. It's not 2001. Machinery isn't malevolent. They're simply tools. Look, here you have this guy who's a murderer. He's killed three of his friends. He's alone on a vessel that's as isolated from the rest of the population as possible. He begins to crack to fill his conscience. So he creates companions by reprogramming the drones. An interesting thing. And so let's talk about the drones. What did you think about Huey, Dewey and Louie, who was only posthumously given his name? I thought they were great. They were interesting to look at. They were like pets. They made me think of pets. And maybe that's why I felt like some weird little connection to them. And I was so fucking devastated um, by the whole thing. Yeah, they were pets that he was training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know that they were pay- they were played by four bilateral amputees? What's bilateral mean? They didn't have legs. Okay. People without legs were inside there. There were people inside so, there. So, oh, so the legs Walking were on their hands. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. I was wondering, I was wondering who was in them. <laughs> I yeah. figured, because so, it comes so, from that time where it wouldn't have been like automated or CGI. Like it was definitely no. be someone in that thing. And I, I was wondering There was who someone was. in there. And they only wanted children. They were like, sorry, we only do like children. Or like that they wouldn't allow that. And he's like, fuck that. Because because Dragus Trumbull saw it on the show, like Freaks or something like that. He okay. just saw someone who didn't have any legs and he's like, wait a minute. We should use them. Yeah. So I'm going to say their names. 
Because okay. there are four people, so clearly the three characters. Mark Persons, Steve Brown, Cheryl Sparks, and Larry Weisenhut. They gave life to Huey, Dewey, and Louie. So there's a reason why they had a lot of, like, personability and emoted. Because they were people. <laughs> there's a reason why when one of them steps out of the way, when the, you know, dune buggies are coming looked scared because there was a person in there acting scared yeah you know why he looked sad when he was the guy was uh, when dewey, when dewey was dying who he looked sad because there was a person uh, and and you see a lot of photos and like all the photos that they look like they were having absolute blast yeah um it's never happened before or since <laughs> oh anything like that wow <laughs> it's outstanding so the drones um you asked, like, how practical and how much could they really do? I mean, I think, um, you know, they were, like, fixing fixing up exteriors and fixing up bits and pieces. But uh, I think the design of them was simply just so they could fit. Like, they were designed around the amputees. The okay. So that, that was the, the form of the design was, like, just pretty much fitted to each person. Right. And they had a little hutch. Like, they'd take the hutch off and their face was there so they could have, like, a snack in the middle of... Yeah. Um, in the middle of shooting. So that, that was the whole design, but I mean, I loved them. Absolutely loved them. And I love that they could be like the reprogrammed like that. Do you know what though? Sorry, I just have to say. Okay. So there's, when he reprograms them and there's a period of time where it's kind of quiet and I'm like, gosh, I hope I pick up on what he's doing. Cause sometimes I'm a bit slow and I'm just like, what is he doing? And then he goes, I need you guys to help me fix my leg. I need you guys to be working for me. Here's a medical program. I was like, thank God you're talking to yourself. Because <laughs> otherwise I would have no fucking idea what you were doing. It's cheesy as all hell. But I was like, okay, that's yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> thank Sometimes God for loneliness. we need a little bit of this. We need some help. <laughs> I know, I needed help. He did a good job. Like, it wasn't too cheesy, but look, let's be honest, there's a cheesy element to this entire, like, it's, a, it's, it's the 70s. This, yeah. I feel like it's something really cheesy, but I, like, loved it because it was just so different. Like, <laughs> so good. Goofy. All right, science. Science. Okay. I've got a bunch of cool stuff here. Awesome. Um, Luckily for us, Carl Sagan already said something about this movie, so I'm just grateful. <laughs> so this is what Carl Sagan said. He called the film technically proficient, but he criticizes he criticizes it on this basis. I don't know if he meant technically proficient as in like the like what Darkest Trouble was able to do, the models and all that shit. Probably. It's probably what he means. Like the model making, the drones, like cool shit. Hmm. But he says this is Carl Sagan, the trees are dying in vast space-borne closed ecological systems on the way to Saturn. After weeks of painstaking study and agonizing searches through botany texts, the solution is found. Plants, it turns out, need sunlight. Trumbull's characters are able to build interplanetary cities but have forgotten the inverse square law. I was willing to overlook the portrayal of the rings of Saturn as pastel-colored gases, but not this. (laughs) Yeah. So, do you have any comments about the overall technical accuracy of the movie and just the realism or lack thereof? Uh, well, just... that whole not to spoil it, but that's my what the fuck. So, okay. 
we couldn't get through the science section without I know I was like how could it how could it like but like it, it infuriated me that whole thing I was just like oh sunlight I know how to what <laughs> and but he you was built having these the, dreams but you're the concept what photosynthesis <laughs> I know how you, humans lost. It's like if we, if I was going to take that seriously, I would say that's so sad that humans have like lost all that knowledge. Or even the fact that that guys like, can you put the bandaid on me? Is like really no, you go to low for the. He cannot for the possibly have, have lost, lost that knowledge? knowledge. He cannot possibly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> how is he keeping it alive up to that point? Also, how long was it before he actually went in there? Because the the trees were dying. How long does it take for the plants to go brown? The leaves are brown and he's looking at them and he's like, I can't figure out what's happening. Like, and he's having flashbacks as a child running through the But he's, he's putting like, it under fucking microscopes flashbacks. and everything. And I'm like, you can't figure out by putting it under a microscope. But it, what? You're no. behind Saturn. No, yeah. that's the one thing. That That's the thing that like, yeah, I agree with Carl Sagan. Like, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you want to forgive it. it on a lot of things because there's a lot of great aspects about the movie. But that one is unforgivable. That entire plot device is unforgivable. It's amazing. It's amazing. I feel like these days, again, people, audiences are much smarter. And we just expect more realism from our movies. Mm. We we are, I think we are all smarter. Yeah. I think in, even in terms of our abilities to have complex plot knowledge. Yeah. As movies have changed, our abilities to take in more complex ideas has changed. Like movies in the beginning, I remember learning this, that, you know, they couldn't assume, like, for example, an edit when you go from one shot to the other. That had to be, that was an invention, right? Before that, like you shoot everything. The fact that they have it, edit a scene, start another scene, we can assume what's happened in the middle. That's something we've learned as an audience to sort of figure out as time goes on. We've just gotten smarter. And I think we've gotten smarter, we expect more. But, you know, looking at the Marvel films, we've done so many Marvel films, they go to such lengths to make sure that the details are accurate. Mm -hmm. Like to give the audience the satisfaction of being like, oh, that is what that really looks like. Even the smallest things that have nothing to do with the plot – they go to the effort. So it's just, when I look at this, I'm like, this is amazing to me. That in yeah. the 70s, this was a loved, like people, people went to see this movie, they were happy with this movie. They overlooked that because audiences yeah. change over time. Like This movie is really dated for that reason. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I suppose if this movie was made now, it would be something like when he kills the guy in the forest, whatever the 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 canister that the guy has something leaks out of it and he just doesn't mm-hmm. notice the leak and then you know it's the, yeah. uh, some disease has been introduced to the to the forest and and that but yeah just the the whole sunlight thing is just a bit like or he he would have anticipated it yeah. he would have been like we're going back and then he'd be like oh my god the forest of course like it wouldn't mm-hmm. he he would have maybe made a rash decision in, in the moment and then immediately realized or like it would have occurred to him quickly yeah. So in the movie, like when the guy was like, boy, it's dark out there. He's like, dark. <laughs> and th- th- there's other things here. Like I was thinking when he killed the guy, again, these days people would be like, that's not how you kill a guy. Like, how can that be possible? I, f- I was looking at all the things that mo- modern day audiences would oh, I didn't not. even, it didn't even occur. I-, I looked at that and I was like, what, he broke his neck? Like <laughs> I was kind of laughing. And also the blood was so fake. But I just, it just made me realize like we've changed. Yeah. Like we're smarter now, I think. Okay. I think so. 
I agree. Um, but it was like play school, you know, when it was like play school. I mean, we have play school uh, educational children's programs. Um, you probably have an equivalent, but it's like this. Hello, what's this? A dying forest. What do you think's wrong? That's right. No sun. <laughs> anyway, so speaking of um, Saturn's rings, because we, we talked about Saturn's rings um, being pastel, pastel colored gases. <laughs> and he's just like, whoa, whoa. Um, but before we get into that, um, the whole storyline. Um, so the Saturn's rings things is very interesting because during the making of 2001, um, they were tossing up if they could do Saturn or Jupiter where they were orbiting around Saturn or Jupiter. Okay. Um, and they decided that Saturn took so much more work than Jupiter because they both have a planet, but you need the rings for Saturn. Um, and Trumbull really wanted to do Saturn because he really wants to be like, no, no, I want to do Saturn. And they're like, no, 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 it's too complicated. So some say Trumbull's entire purpose behind this movie was to prove he could do a good Saturn. <laughs> but others say it was shots, actually reused shots um, from 2001 was for Saturn, which is why oh. they decided to do that. So either way, the film started with the idea that they wanted to be on Saturn and they like found a reason why they would be at Saturn. <laughs> So that's why we're in Saturn so far away from the sun because this is like the whole thing was like, we're going to reuse the shots from 2001. I'm going to do something I always wanted to do, which was film at Saturn's rings. So that's a little bit of a context. So we could be a little bit more forgiving when we ask, what do we think about Saturn's rings? But where are they going? (laughs) Yeah, into silent running. (laughs) No, but where are the freighters going? Behind Saturn on the other side. But why? Where are, oh, no, no. no. The, where are the freighters going? Yeah, where, what is the purpose they're orbiting of their around mission? Earth. I don't know they're what they're doing. They're orbiting around the sun. They're just in orbit. Okay, but for some reason they're in orbit at Saturn, at the distance of Yeah, because Douglas Trumbull wanted to go to Saturn. He wanted to find a way to okay. use these shots when he goes past Saturn's But there's no, there, there's no reason in the story. They're not trying to exit the solar no. system. There's no, no. just... They they say that Earth in is orbit. Like decimated, but is it is Earth it potentially okay? Is it potentially that the point of the story is that it's the future, where when we get to the future, where the sun will expand as it's starting to die, and is that no, why there's like, no life on like... Earth anymore? And then that's why they would be orbiting around us an orbit of Saturn because the sun would have expanded to the point where you couldn't really be closer in. It takes place around like nowish, or oh. turn of the century. So there's there's just a, no reason to what the destruction. There's no explanation as to what the destruction on Earth is, or why they would be at Saturn's orbit. Well, we can we can talk in the next section about what happened on Earth, but there's absolutely no reason for them to be at Saturn, other than the fact that Douglas okay. Trumbull wanted to do it. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as Saturn's ring sort of little asteroids little rocks not, yeah. not that little but yeah, yeah but that, that that it was only like it was like decade after this that the first photos of saturn's ring were actually um made so they didn't know what saturn's ring were made of oh. yet um yeah no it's just like a super weird thing about douglas trumbull <laughs> he just <laughs> his whole purpose of this movie was saturn's rings <laughs> 
So he goes, yeah, he, he, he goes out of the orbit um, behind Saturn. He runs away. Yeah. Um, all right, well, then we can go straight into what happens on Earth. Um, okay. Yeah. Because why are they there? Now, the original plot of the movie actually had nothing to do with environmentalism, which is why I was, you know, talking above about like, I don't think, I don't think it was the message because it was more a moral plot. It was like all moral plot, but it was like spaceships and aliens. That was the original book and the original story. It was just a moral story of a guy like on the run and this and that. Um, Like a lot of sort of moral robot stories. I don't know. The one bit that I've read from sci-fi about like these conundrums and these moral issues with like robots, AI, aliens and morality and all that kind of shit. Anyway, but the 1970s saw a whole lot of environmentalism, even though it was about a decade before the idea of global warming came into the public consciousness. So anyway, the environmentalism of the 70s suddenly provided this movie with a believable motivation something that would explain the main character's moral conundrum. Something that would explain why he would act so severely. Uh, it just gave the context. So I love hearing this stuff when you hear about how movie plots evolved in real time and they make decisions. Right. Like we, with Doctor Strange Love as well, we learned that like yeah. oh, it was originally this, but then that thing happened in real time, so they changed it to that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so environmentalism was like a it was like a secondary to the main plot which is you know a guilty guy right okay a guilty guy kills all his friends and he's like oh they weren't that bad (laughs) (laughs) so something has happened to the earth as a result the temperature is a constant 75 degrees which is 24 degrees 24 degrees celsius there's no disease and then they're like no unemployment um Everything's the same everywhere. <laughs> I oh, imagine Earth Gattaca, hasn't to be honest. been destroyed. Yes. Sorry. I was no, it's confused. Not destroyed. I thought Earth was destroyed and that's why there was no forests. Is it just that we've just so overpopulated the Earth that we don't have greenery or care about uh, life I think anymore. that nature, they've just torn down all the forests. Okay. Like basically what, you know, Australia, for example, we're just slowly eliminating all. Because like 24 um, degrees native. sounds nice. A, a nice good old yeah. uh, life vegetation promoting temperature. <laughs> um, I think that you no know, nature's been eliminated, and I can. And they said everything's the same everywhere else. Like the valleys have been filled, the mountains have been raised to the ground. Everything's the same. I imagine all the buildings are concrete, metal. Everyone is the same, and it right. seems like only Freeman Lowell cares. So it's like, what do we think happens on Earth? And I'm thinking, yeah, I think that, well, you know, they destroy koala habitat just to get bluestone. Right. You know, and then they replant koala habitat, which of course never works because that's not how it works. So when I, you know, look, when I hear this, I'm like, oh, you know, I see that this might be a future that we're looking at. So yeah. do you believe that humans would destroy the last remaining forest if they couldn't see a benefit to it, a commercial benefit? I think actually in thinking about this now and thinking about we've we've talked about this before about what what kind of science fiction future we would have and I have said a number of times that I do believe that the, with the path that we are going down 
in society in the world right now that we are more likely heading towards a commercially driven future sci-fi based future where you know like companies will start mining asteroids because it's beneficial to them um and i can see how there's a turning point and we will either make nature a priority or we will continue on the path that we are on and then we will just have a commercial future. So yeah, I think I would believe that there would come a point where if there's no commercial reason that anyone can see to keep it alive, to keep it going, that they would just destroy it. Faux show. I don't think it's hard to believe at all. Yeah. I think Bolsonaro t- did take a torch to the Amazon just because of fucking annoying. Like... When he was in power, the Amazon was just burning. And it's like a lot of people think that they do that on purpose. Yeah. Get rid of the forest, make it into a farm, and then they stop all the whining because it's not there anymore. And I think that there are people that are like, all this stuff, it just causes hassle and it's better if it's not there. Yeah, um, yeah I totally believe it. Oh, God. In Australia, it's like amazing how little regard um, anybody has it- for nature. It's like a lot of things. We don't fully understand them. And I think people like you and me, because not just because we're scientists, but we we question things and we look at things. And when, when someone tells us something, we go and we look it up and we know where to find information and we know how to analyze information that allows us to go, OK, well, this is what this is saying and this is why this is important. And I don't think that I have ever really fully comprehended how much a lot of other people don't think like that. Mm. And how a lot of other people just need to be told what it is or don't know where to find correct information. So they'll watch one documentary that tells them something and they'll go, oh, that's it. And then they'll watch something else. They go, oh, that's it. And they don't know how to process the information in a way to understand why certain things are important. Um, and a lot of people as well just want to get on with their lives and they don't want to have to put the effort or the energy into fighting for something. And mm-hmm. and a lot of people are just happy to just sit back and go, well, they're the people in charge and they'll just do what they do and I just do what I do and, and mm. that's how the world works. And the reality is, is we have created a world where... Um, Apathy. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of and we and we see it. We see it in so many different aspects to society. It's very obvious, I think, to people like you and me and and a lot of other people in the world. It's very, very obvious that there are people in positions of power that are destroying the world for future generations. But we're not doing anything about it because not mm-hmm. enough people understand the implications or care about the implications and i totally see how exhausting it is to care and how exhausting it is like if you're a person that cares or to be around a person like freeman Lowe who does care i mean we need to care apathy and he talks about it nobody cares nobody cares Mm. like it's very accurate because he cares and he's exhausting to them and you know what he's miserable all the time they're not miserable he is miserable all the time he's suicidal yeah. Like he literally kills himself. And it's like, do we want to be like that? We want to be suicidal because that's where it heads, it heads us. So maybe I shouldn't care. And, and like, I totally get, I totally get the tension of like, I don't think it's helpful to care. Why bother? You can't do anything yeah. about it. 
Um, have you read Rachel Carson? No. Okay. Rachel Carson was addressing this uh, exact thing. Like, you have to care, right? Yeah. Because what she was saying, it's not just about we should care because we should care. She was saying you have to care because there is a balance to nature. And if we disturb the balance, well, we know what will happen. She yeah. predicted the ecological disaster that we're in now. This movie was well before people knew about global warming. So it's funny in this movie where they're like, oh, I've destroyed all nature. Everyone's happy. We know now that's not how it works. That isn't how it would be. We wouldn't just be like, oh, everything's amazing. No. And because we're now in the, the disaster of global warming. So Rachel Carson, her watershed moment was this book, Silent Spring. It's very funny that this is Silent Running and Silent mm. Spring. And the book was from 1962. And this led to the rising consciousness. It's like this idea. She didn't make up the word ecosystem, but she definitely pop- popularized the idea right. that we all exist in a network and there's, there's give and there's take. And, and, it's, and, and it's not something that we can take endlessly from nature like it runs out and 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 it brings about disaster if it does run out and things like that so um you know it's amazing to me you can kind of see this movie this was with the knowledge that they had at the time you know Mm. that that they were they were just addressing oh no we can't get rid of nature because you know we should care then eventually we understood what global warming would do and so movies now you wouldn't just have happy earth and everyone's like well you care because if i do believe that if there was a possibility that we would be fine without it then it'd be safe not to care because it seems like everyone's fine on earth but that isn't the truth that's not the truth we aren't fine we aren't going to be fine the point is and the point that the that the movie doesn't address is that we do not have an atmosphere without nature Yes. Do you know what's funny is that they had the, the, the photos of Earth when he looks out the window. Yeah. You see that the clouds are there. You see that. So it's funny because even the, the picture of Earth, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be clouds. So the, like this is the thing. And this is what infuriates yeah. me about people's lack of uh, the apathy and people's lack of care. Without, without green plant life in our world, providing oxygen that goes up in and creates the atmosphere that protects us that we can breathe we don't have an atmosphere human life does not survive on this planet without an atmosphere atmosphere does not exist without greenery without plant Mm -hmm. life without um supporting things like the amazon rainforest and and other lots of other ecological systems around Mm. the world and it's insane but the problem is people don't fucking understand this and the very very simple and basic an obviousness of people not understanding this is the current crisis with gas prices. Right? The fact that like people mm-hmm. are freaking out because gas is now so expensive and people are losing their shit because they're like, I mean, I know that there's there's a lot of circumstances that have caused the ga- increase in gas prices, but nobody seems to want to admit. But you've been told for many, many, many fucking years that, that gas is a limited resource that eventually yeah. there will come a day where you will not be able to get it and you have yeah. to have a renewable source of energy that yeah. you are using instead. And people are still now, people are like, whoa, what's going on with the gas prices? And it's like, yeah. I just like the fact that you still don't understand. I will also say, and then sort of wrap, wrap this conversation up, that yeah, although sorry. there are mitigating circumstances, I do believe that someone's always profiting from the shit. 
Yes. Like, you know, there are people putting those oil prices up because they're profiting from the fucking chaos of the war. Absolutely. Okay. The people with oil. But yes. So, but just to finish off this section before I go into the final section is at the beginning of Silent Spring, she describes a desolate earth landscape and we're sort of craving to be like, what's happening on earth? What's happening on earth? But I feel like we can, if we read that, we can imagine what's going on at earth at the time of Silent Running. Okay. This is what she says. And her writing is beautiful, Abby. I read one of her book called The Edge of the Sea, literally about the edge of the sea, <laughs> life at the edge of the sea. It's beautiful, so intricate. Her love and her description of all like, these tiny ecosystems is just, it's breathtaking and it's so relaxing. And it, it, it honestly, like after reading that, like going down to the sea and sitting there and watching the waves, it's just, it takes, it's, everybody needs to read her. She's the, the best science communicator that ever was. Okay. She also was the one responsible for banning DDT. During World War II, when everyone was busy killing you know everybody else, she still kept going on about DDT, by the way. And everyone was like, why are you going about science as a war? She's like, no, nah, I'll never give up. Eventually, people saw what she was saying and DDT is now banned. Okay. Rachel Carson says, the roadsides, once so attractive, were now lined with brown and withered vegetation as though swept by fire. These two were silent, deserted by all living things. Even the streams were now lifeless. Anglers no longer visited them, for all the fish had died. Oh. Yeah. So I haven't read Silent Spring because I'm not quite ready for it, but her other book about just describing life is is just beautiful, so uh, watch it. Okay, uh, last thing I want to talk about is um, I found particularly interesting is the psychology of doubling down. I think at the end of the day, this movie is a moral film. It's about the journey of a man and his morality. Um, I think it's interesting that this movie is essentially a movie about a man who sees no way around his actions, who instead decides to fully commit to his actions. Killing one man quickly becomes killing two, quite literally doubling down. This term comes from poker, which Freeman Law incidentally is great at. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, he's a great poker player and he knows it. Now, what is the reason for doubling down? I'm just going to like talk, uh, read a thing that I wrote, if that's okay. Okay. So in a landmark study by Leon Festing, Festinger, Henry Riken, and Stanley Schachter, it's called When Prophecy Fails. They describe a small cult called the Seekers. Now, their leader predicted the destruction of much of America by a flood, and she told her followers they would be rescued from this by aliens on board flying saucers, and the aliens were communicating with her via telepathy. Several dates were predicted for the end, but one after the other passed without event. Contrary to common sense, the group did not abandon their beliefs, they did not disband, but rather a faithful corps persisted and redoubled their efforts to convince others of the veracity of their ideas. And it was from this study that Festinger et al. developed the theory of cognitive dissonance. When people with strongly held beliefs are confronted with evidence at odds with their beliefs, and they feel the discomfort and kind of the pain of that. They'll resolve this instead of disbanding it or inspecting it by convincing others to support their views instead of abandoning their commitments. Um, 
And just to add on something at the end, this feeds into sort of Freudian ideas that a lot of these actions come from a way that we're avoiding like pain on the inside. And the pain on the inside here is this sort of feeling that everything that you've held very strong might not be true. And that's very painful. And we avoid that with cognitive dissonance. Um, and I think Freeman Lowell's actions can be explained by these ideas. Amazing. What do you think? Yeah, it's so interesting because what you've just made me think of is it's a podcast series I've been listening to. It's called Fake Psychic. And it's a story mm -hmm. of Lamar Keene, who's like a really famous, renowned psychic in the US, who after I don't know how many years of performing at this like, oh God, this like really well-known uh, camp place as well. I don't know. There was this huge network of these psychics for like throughout um, a couple of decades there. Mm -hmm. in the US and he basically came out and admitted it was all fake and he wrote a book about it but he, he tells the story in the book of the day when he's at his church and he's telling yeah. like the people at the church that this is fake he's like I don't like mm -hmm. I we have all this information on you this is how I know there's a network of people and he calls the the followers the true believers and it's because it doesn't matter that he stood in front of them and told them, I am a fake. I am a fraud. Everyone here is fakes and frauds. We all connect. We all tell each other information about you. We're all pretending. The believers still were like, oh, I hear what you're saying, but I still believe. I understand what you're saying and, and okay if, if you're saying that you're fake but I still believe that these psychic abilities are real that like all this stuff and he was just like it's just crazy to look at people who even when you tell them when you admit to them this is not a thing that they cannot come forward with you they can't just admit and understand that this entire thing is a charade they have to like go into themselves into a deep down into a like into as he says a true believer status in order mm -hmm. to maintain yeah. this idea That's that right. what they believe in is true mm -hmm. I, I don't know sorry I, I know it's separate from the movie completely I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there but like it just that's just what you were making me think of just this whole like mm. as you said the doubling down of it just like going you know being confronted yeah. with the reality of the situation and not being able to accept the reality and instead just going deeper into it. Deeper into it. So literally he goes into deep space. So Freeman Lowell, he, he kills one person, you know, in this moment. He responds to that by quickly killing two. And so it's like with much, you know, people that he liked much more. So it just shows you how quickly you can go from killing one to killing two. And he's so resolved. But then I guess... First of all, he then goes off into deep space, literally, to dig mm -hmm. down. But I think when he when he starts to get in contact with the Berkshire, he realizes, like, there's no way around. Like, I'm never getting away with my actions. Yeah. And the only thing I can do is just to go on, just to keep going into what I've dug myself into. And he just doesn't give up. And then eventually they find him. And I think by then the guilt, like, you see him um and the guilt starting to come to him he misses his friends he doesn't know what he did he slowly starts to realize he's never going to get away with anything then they find him and he's like Fuck, why did you find me and he's like i'm never getting away with this and of course his last ditch effort to save the forest makes no sense yeah 
and then he ends his life instead of just turning himself in. Um, and I think it's a it's a great example of what I don't how understand. far we'll go not to not to not to not to ins- like have that insult yeah. inspection. What I don't understand, and it's something I never really understood about about the whole way through the movie, because I thought at the very beginning what I thought it was going to be was that he was going to detach the dome with him inside it. But I guess maybe oh, he, he doesn't want to do live that. with he doesn't want to live with the guilt. Yeah, I just don't think he can live with that. Okay, I suppose yeah, as you said, it's a, it's a mor- it's a story of morality rather than like the conservation. Yeah. The conservation is an aspect to where his motivations come from, but it is about the morality and the guilt and the, his and the loneliness. Like, yeah, yeah. The only but way he's still a selfish him. fuck at the end because he fucking brings. Who we do Yeah, who we do I'm I'm still angry. Yeah. <laughs> so can you just I, imagine depressed Huey just like <laughs> can you imagine I just no right. I don't want to think about him ever again with that let's go what the <laughs> fuck that I think that we can wrap it up such interesting stuff weird movie man alright let's go come on what the what the what the fuck well I, I have three and we've already talked about all three of them the fact that he sent Dewey off on his own um yeah. the the guys <laughs> driving through the fucking forest and just re- like carelessly driving over all of the soil just being assholes and um the fact that uh he didn't realize that the plants were dying because they needed sunlight totally what the fuck like... i wrote angry dodgems i have two yeah. one of them was angry angry i called it angry dodgems oh, he's just he... like angrily <laughs> Like angrily dodge him. He's just trying to like forget all his guilt and he's getting these flashbacks. Amazingly cheesy. It is so amazing how cheesy this movie is. Like it's so serious. He's so serious and he's such a good job and he's such a good actor. That 70s cheese, the flashbacks, the Joan Baez. Like I'm like this is like a, a... this is the letter in the bottle. <laughs> the letter in the bottle that Freeman Lowell is describing is this movie come from the 70s. It's amazing when you watch The Alien and you're like, I don't feel that it's dated. The way that it's dated, it's like great. The way that the fashion is awesome. This movie, it's just 100% cheese. But my, I've got a little what the fuck. Okay. What was his microwave button fork? What? Did you see? No. He had a special fork implement just there to turn the, put the microwave on. What was his tool? I watched it so many times. <laughs> he puts stuff in the microwave and he has this long, when was the microwave? From the 70s? He has this long like fork that he uses to press the buttons on the microwave. Then he puts it down again. Like that's all it does. <laughs> is this because, <laughs> is this, is this back to a time where people thought microwaves were going to kill you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I reckon it was. Ah, <laughs> oh, the cheese. I can't take it. Wow. Let's do so. Let's rate it. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to be so easy to edit, which is great because I have no time to edit. Um, does it pass the Sam's test? <laughs> Unbelievable. Not one female presence no. in the entire movie. I kind of feel a little bit like it. I mean, yeah, you could have had like, look, any one of those three extra characters could have been a woman easily but at the same time because there's so few cast i'm not really that mad about it i know and then we know alien came after so it's it's nice to see the evolution of space movies and like we know coming up next we had sigourney weaver so we know that everything you know it changed Um, but back then i guess people couldn't imagine a woman in space (laughs) (laughs) it was impossible like it was never going to happen the four of them were always going to be men 
<laughs> um, they couldn't even give a female presence to the AI. But yeah, Alien is so amazing. It's so amazing to think of Alien as sort of an evolution of this, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Just so much, so much more evolved, so much more detailed, so much more successful at everything. <laughs> Um, but this is still a gem, I think. All right, does it pass the here comes the science? <laughs> nah. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't know. No. I mean, we don't have oh, a ridiculous, Abby. yeah, we don't have a ridiculous explanation Abby. moment or anything like that. But like, yeah, I'm not really sure what the what the science Abby. is. <laughs> I mean, the science. Okay, fine. We don't know what the science is, but the whole like, why are the trees dying? Okay, yeah, yeah. The sorry, sun. yeah. No, this is yeah. That's and it's in Saturn. Like the very fact that they were like, we're doing a fucking movie in Saturn, all right? <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. I don't care if it makes sense. They 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 make like the choices. Everyone, they the live with the consequences, <laughs> and the consequences are that we say no, no, okay, no, no, he did not pass yeah. <laughs> Also, explain to me how there is a constant temperature all over Earth, and everyone is fine and living. Just, global yeah. warming yeah explain that an atmosphere with ecological disaster sure. by the way that's that's the when trump's like global warming i wouldn't mind a bit of that that's i blame this movie for that attitude uh. <laughs> fuck them okay okay it's funny because i was ready to give it a really high rating because the more i thought about it the more i'm like what a darling film but when we pick apart the science i feel i must penalize it for that so okay. what are you going to give it oh my my mind is saying 3.5. Amazing. I'm going to go 3.9. Yeah. I wanted to give it higher because I just, I really like liked it. Mm. I just, but as we talk, I'm like, I can't, it has to be under four because. Yeah. <laughs> like it's hard sometimes because especially when there's like science fiction classics and it's like, yeah, but just because it's a classic doesn't necessarily mean that it's worthy of. Yeah. But we've seen better I thought it was going to be so we've much We've seen worse. better depictions We've seen better, science. but. Yeah. I was ready for this to be much worse because I've seen um, movies, 70s science fiction movies. What's that one where they, no one can turn 30? Oh, oh my God. God. You know the one I'm talking about? No. Um, yeah, and it's like, this is just as famous, right? It's just as famous as this, right? So I went and I watched it during lockdown. Um, it's with Jenny Agatar as well. What's it called? Logan's Run. Yeah. Oh, so I watched yeah. Logan's Run, which is 76, and I, it was so bad. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> and it's just as cheesy. It's so fucking cheesy, like the 70s. But in that movie, like, it's shocking and it makes no sense. I was so ready for this to be more like Logan's Run, and I was and I was so happy when it wasn't. And Bruce Dern, I, I – I was I was so happy. <laughs> so I, I was like really I was ready to be like four point eight. Okay. Um but the more I talk about the science I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We did silent running. We Yay, did what a good episode. Cool. Yeah. All right. I know what's next, but why don't you tell everybody at home what's sorry, next? one second. Your chicken's ready. Hey Abby, friend Hi. chicken's ready, it's twelve o'clock. <laughs> on the dot 12 o'clock chicken's <gasps> ready little popper was uh no she's just having a little cry outside the door and i was like why are you crying because i've had the door closed for a few hours now so she's sad okay so yeah so we're on a break now we're on our we're on our break for tres semana yeah three week break and then yeah. we come back with a new cycle and we kick it off with back to marvel frida <laughs> <laughs> avengers age of ultron i'm trying so hard <laughs>
trying so hard. I'm excited to talk about this one. In person. I can't wait to talk about Ultron. And we're doing it in person, I know. So I'll be close by. So if you want to like jump across the table and strangle me, I'll be right there. (laughs) All right, Abby, see you at the next episode in person. See you in London, baby. All right. I'm so loving that ever since we've been on TikTok, people have been coming out and contacting us and it's just making me so happy. So please keep getting in touch with us. TikTok at Science at the Movies, Instagram at Science at the Movies, Science at the Movies at gmail.com. Leave us a review on Apple. We love hearing from you. It makes us really, really happy to know that you guys are enjoying our content. Okay. See you next time. Bye-bye.